Tanya for the 15th of ER, but first a story. The Tzadik of Yitzchak of Varkia in his early years suffered very greatly from his wife. His wife would torment him. And in spite, and not with, and, and in spite of the fact that her torments were extremely um, intense, he never said a word back. He always listened humbly and and with respect, and never, never even answered, and never even justified himself in the slightest. But at some point, she started taking out her rage against the the helpers in the house. People they had, um, you know, cleaning ladies or whatever it was that would that would help around the house. And she started raging against them. And now he was torn. For himself, he he was humble. He started feeling mad. Maybe he should say something because it wasn't, you know, it it it, it wasn't a right that she was so so um, horrible to them. And he didn't know what to do, and he decided he needs to ask his rebbe. So he traveled to David of Lelov, and he asked David of Lelov his dilemma. He said, "Myself, I don't mind. I don't need to say a word in my defense. But the pe- people that come to help us, what do they do wrong? It's not fair that she's that she's um, um, uh, terrorizing them." And David of Lelov said like this: He said, "Why are you telling me? Tell yourself." And with that, with that, the the conversation was over, and Yitzchak was so confused that it didn't see it was so cryptic and didn't seem like an answer in, at all. The answer to the question was tell yourself. And Yitzchak didn't have an answer, but at some point he came across the Balshemta, and this was a, a lesson he heard, he heard in his Balshemta. And at that point he understood what what, what his Rebbe David of Lelov meant. Balshemta says like this: Someone makes makes an issue in their life in the in the line of action, like they do something wrong in, with the actual action, then the anguish that might come to them will be with the cattle or with their servants. If a person does something in the in the in the line of speech, they're not careful about their speech, then the anguish that might come their way will be um, hard words from their wife and hard words towards other people. And if it's in the in the, the line of, of thought, then it, then it could come in the line that the the anguish might come back to them in the in from their children. So and the Bashanta says the, the the flip side: if a person succeeds in making these right, a person succeeds in fixing it up in these three sources, then the exact issues that he has in those three areas will not just fix himself, but they will become a source of happiness. So if a person, for example, in the case of Yisro Varki, understood this meant that something needed to be corrected in his own speech. That's why the, his rabbi told him tell yourself. It's something he needed to actually do with telling. Once he fixed it up, he was able to have an incredible relationship with his wife because not only did, that fix, not only did the issue fix itself, but it became a source of happiness. Where we're holding the Tanya so far, we're still in the middle of chapter 48, and we're dealing with uh, quite a complex idea, the idea of Hashem's relationship to this world and how Hashem created the world and how Hashem Let's let's say withheld his own energy in order for this world to be a possibility. And the purpose of explaining chapter forty, because forty eight is quite complex and involving. But what does that have to do with the Daniel? We're trying to expect, explain how to have a love towards God. When a person realizes how much God has held himself back, how how much unlimited energy of godly energy God has pulled back in order for this world to be a possibility, you'll say, "Well, God really he's invested in this world. He really loves and cares in this world about this world, and he really loves and cares about me making this world and making me inside of it." If God loves me this much, I've got to reciprocate this love. He, he genuinely loves me. And even, even when a person thinks about how much someone else loves them, it causes them to have good feelings. Same thing will happen to us. So far, we've explained is Seva and Mamala, two different types of energy um, wavelengths, let's call it. Mamala is an energy wavelength that deals 
and, enable, and enables this world to, do, to have specific energy, energy catered towards it, a table, a chair, a person, every single different person, a trees and, and the ground, they all have different energy, wavelengths traveling towards them every single moment, creating them, enabling, enabling them to be alive at every single moment. Mimala energy is godly energy that caters itself towards every single thing in this world, giving very individually micro energy to every single thing, exactly as it needs, no more, no, no less. And then there's soap of energy. It's like this, this, I'm gonna use the incorrect word for a moment, surrounding energy that surrounds the periphery of this world, not able to go inside this world because it's too much energy. But the Altar says, by the way, that slave of energy is also inside every single thing in this world. In order for things to be in existence, it needs unlimited energy to be existing. The idea of existence, a very I am yes, mine to be something needs unlimited energy. So how is it possible to have an energy that on the one hand goes right into everything, enabling it to be in existence? On the other hand, so beyond the pale of this universe and the existence that there's no way of touching anything in this universe. So it's inside everything and at the same time absolutely disconnected from everything. Says Altreba, that's a paradox. And how does that work? Altreba gives two examples. And the two examples help us a little bit understand what's going on, how it's possible for something to be inside of something, but it's also not inside of it. Ultimate says, for example, a person thinks about something, the idea is surrounded by his brain, and also the idea is inside of his brain. It helps us a little bit, not so much, of course, because we can't understand God. And that's what we're getting now. But about God, it's written, God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. We're unable for us to understand God's thoughts. When God thinks about something, it's not that there's a thought and there's God and there's the God surrounding the thought and inside. No, no, no. God and the thought are one. How does that make sense? Our thoughts are, are not ourselves. Our thoughts are inside ourselves. And yes, it's very deep, deeply attached to ourselves. We understand it's ourselves and our, our thoughts. But this is God. And God doesn't have limitations like we have limitations. And God is everything and everything is God. And therefore, even God's thoughts, they're within God. And God is, is not a, a separate part in any way from his own thoughts. And I'll give an example. Lam Marshall, this world. God's knowledge of this world isn't a separate thing as God, and then there's this world, and the knowledge of this world. No, God's knowledge is this world. God is entirely unified with absolutely everything, and everything is everything is God, and God is everything. Again, a critical principle of the Tanya is that there's nothing outside of God. So when God thinks about this world, God doesn't think about this world. God just thinks about himself, because God and the world are entirely one. And so every single thing, when God has to think about the deepest thing in the very, very pit, in the lowest area of the world, God doesn't say, well, let me think about, no, it's God, and everything is part of it. So now the now the, the second point, first point, point the first point of today's Sanya is God's relationship with this world is not 
our relationship when we think about things, when we understand things. God's understanding of this world is a part of himself. That's point number one. Point number two is what we just read now, is that for this world to be a possibility, it wouldn't have been enough for God to remain the way it is in, in, God, in the godly perspective, let's call it, of, of this universe, that everything is God and God is everything, because that perspective would leave no room for anything outside of God. So how did this world become a possibility? God took his energy and broke it down and broke it down and over and over and over and separated the unlimited in such a way that there was able to be a finite limited world that's very much physical it doesn't take away from the original thing we, we spoke about very important to understand god's perspective perspective still stays true everything is god and god is everything but it also lends itself to another perspective a true perspective a real reality god actually created the one that's real it's not a fake world. It's not an illusion. This is a real world. But it, but the point is, through God breaking down his energy, enabled another perspective, like looking at a one window and looking at another window. And that's how we have this world, a physical, actual corporal world with physical things with limited energy. At the same time, you have God's unlimited energy connected with it because God is infinite and everything is God and God is everything. And therefore, you have these these things all running in tandem with each other. But what the focus of today's time is, and what the focus of chapter 48 is, to explain the world that we know it, that possibility was only created by God breaking down his energy in such a dramatic, um, um, focused way that this world is literally limited, but it shows the great love that God has towards us. And us knowing about this, we just say, well, God loves us so much. I love him back. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for joining us. 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 Have a wonderful and very successful day. Thank you so much for joining.